Chapter 5 Jackie ordered coffee. Eventually coffee was given to her. These moments were related. The moonlight all night was packed, as it always was in the morning. There were few places in town where one could quietly have breakfast in the company of so many other people also quietly having breakfast. There is nothing more lonely than an action taken quietly on your own, and nothing more comforting than doing that same quiet action in parallel with fellow humans doing the same action, everyone alone next to each other. In her right hand was the coffee served in a mug that said, Jones Brothers Weed Watchers Co. We watch your weeds for suspicious behavior, 24-7 audio and video monitoring. It was part of the Moonlight All Night's charm. They used mugs gathered from any number of sources. Sometimes those sources left strange stains or humming sounds on the mugs. This was also part of the charm. Her left hand clutched the piece of paper where it had been clutched since yesterday evening. Earlier, she'd tried burning the paper, but it came back from the ashes. She had placed the paper in a small lockbox, which she locked. It got out. She tried showering the paper away. Taking a shower often solved problems for her. She would find herself with thoughts that seemed to come from outside of her. Thoughts that would question decisions, or offer suggestions, or just consider life hazily in a way that made it seem like the thoughts could not possibly be her own. When she'd held the paper directly under the stream of the shower, it had turned soggy and dissolved, falling into sludge that crumbled toward the drain. But then it was back in her hand. Over and over she destroyed it, and over and over it returned. Finally, a dependable companion, she said to the shower head, and a thought popped into her head that was barely formed into words, more a general image of how often Jackie is surrounded by things that she can depend on and how little she thinks about them. She left the shower as most people leave showers, clean and a little lonely. Sitting in the diner, out of hope for much else, she rolled the paper into a ball and shoved it into her oatmeal, along with the usual blueberries and salt cubes and cured salmon. She downed the entire bowl like she hadn't eaten in days, which might have also been the case. It was hard to tell as she was hardly able to pay attention to much more than the paper. Her left hand twitched, and without looking down, she knew. Damn it, she said, stabbing the paper with her butter knife, and then repeated, damn it, a couple more times in a hopeless day crescendo. King City, said the paper. Yeah, yeah, so I've heard, she muttered. No one around her noticed. Teenagers shout things a lot while smashing knives near their hands. Everyone knew. The man on her left was poking the chipped countertop and whispering to it. His straw hat was set very far back on his head so that his face seemed longer than it should be. On her right was a woman who had set her chair so it was facing the door to the diner and was making a check mark on her clipboard every time someone walked in. All in all, no one cared about a young woman shouting and jabbing at her hand. Coffee at the moonlight in the morning was part of her usual routine. In about five minutes, she would put down whatever remained in the coffee, whisper into her water glass for the check, pull it out from under the tray of sugar packets where it would suddenly be, then place it along with some cash back under the sugars, wait for the sound of swallowing to indicate the bill was paid, and then leave the restaurant, the typical diner rigmarole. Then she would drive to the pawn shop. 
dig up the doors from where they were hidden and replace them unlocked at the front just in time for opening time, which was the moment her gut told her the shop should be open. She would sit there all day, doing what she did, and no more than what she did. And then she would stop doing that and go home. There wasn't much else to it. Life. A person's life is only what they do. But this morning, she did not ask for the check. She did not pay it or leave. She stared at the paper in her hand and knew that she would not do any of the things that she normally did this day. The knowledge came as a pain in her stomach and a fluttering on her neck. It was physical, this knowledge, as a strong knowing always is. It had more to do with an ache in her bones than a notion in her head. The paper had disrupted her routine, and her routine was her life. Without it, she was just a teenager who did not age and had no friends. She felt helpless before the paper's power, even as she did not understand what the power was. Fine, she shouted at it. Okay, shouted a man in a nearby booth at a stain on his tie. In the kitchen, another man in a floral apron and a hairnet nodded at a tub of soaking dishes. Yep, he said. People often found themselves assenting to inanimate objects in the moonlight all night. Jackie sat back on the cracked red stool that smelled of rubber and sawdust. She needed a plan. She turned to the man on her left. I need a plan, she said. What was that? He looked up. His forehead was long and unwrinkled, and he appeared to be wearing a great deal of makeup. A plan, dude. I need my life back the way it was. She shook the paper in frantic demonstration. Ah, okay, kid. He flicked his eyes back to the counter where he had been staring. I need the man in the tan jacket. The man next to her narrowed his eyes. He presumably had two eyes. What was that you were just saying? He said. I need to find someone else who saw him. There must be somebody in this town who talked to him and can tell me about him. He stared at her with what was probably a normal amount of eyes. I'll need to start talking to people all over town. Try to find anyone who knows him. Listen carefully to what they say and what they don't say. Did you just mention a man in a tan jacket? He asked. Doesn't matter, she said, turning back to the front and reestablishing the wall between her and her fellow customers eating at the diner counter, or the eighth wall, as it is known in the world of theater. She decided to make a list of everyone who might know about this mysterious man. She pulled out the pen she used for writing tickets at the pawn shop. It was a promotional pen from a festival put on by the city a few years ago. The Night Vale Shakespeare in a Pit Festival. Fall into the Bard's words, it said. The broken leg had been painful, but she did love the pen. She searched her pockets for anything to write on and could find nothing. The blank tickets were kept at the pawn shop, and anyway, they were only for writing claim tickets. There is a way these things are done, although at that moment they were not being done. Her existence was premised on everything being the same every day, and the paper was insistently different. It was impossible to sink into a blissful holding pattern with a mysterious paper in her hand. There were no menus or placemats to write on, and then she looked down at her left hand and the paper. Of course. She put the paper on the counter and wrote list at the top of the blank side, or at least list was what she intended to write. Instead, she wrote King City. No, she said to her own hand. She crossed out what she had written and wrote list. 
except that it still looked a lot like King City. No, she said again. She would not accept it. Not this, too. Maybe it was the surface. She pushed the paper aside, where it immediately sprang back, the marks from the pen completely gone, into her left hand, and wrote directly on the counter. Hey, said Laura, the waitress, as she walked by. I'll have to clean that later. Laura had many branches growing from her body, laden with fruit. Test, Jackie wrote on the pa counter, and again it came out as King City. She yelled in frustration. The man with the long forehead and the woman with the clipboard glared at her. Teenagers don't usually write things while yelling, they thought, worried. Shh, said a voice from under the man's hat. Even if she did go to the pawn shop, she wouldn't be able to write tickets for the customers or price tags that said $11. She felt utterly defeated, and this feeling made her angry and defiant. What had she done to deserve this? She punched the counter and then held her aching fist. Her phone rang. She pulled it out, and the woman next to her slipped in an earpiece so she could listen along. Hello, Mom? Hello, dear! Her mom didn't quite grasp that phones bridged the distance between people, so shouting was unnecessary. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm busy at work right now. The woman with the clipboard, one hand on the earpiece, raised an eyebrow at her, and Jackie waved it off. Do you need something? Can't I just call my child? I have to need something? Of course you can, Mom, but that's not what I... But now that you mention it... See? Jackie mouthed to the woman with the clipboard. The woman shrugged. What is it, Mom? I need to talk to you. I'm glad we could talk then. Was there anything else? Jackie wrote King City on the counter again and cringed. No, I need to talk to you in person. It's important. I have something to tell you. It's about... Well, it's better if you just come and we can talk about it. Jackie's eyes burned. She wasn't sure if it was an allergic reaction. She couldn't remember ever feeling this sensation. She touched the corner of her eye. It was wet. There was water coming from her eyes and trickling down her cheeks. And she knew she was crying, but she wasn't sure if she had ever cried before. She let all the air that was in her out, without using her mouth to make that air communicate anything. This lack of communication communicated a great deal. Jackie, are you there? Yes, I'm wherever I am. Here I am. Mom, have I ever... I mean, do you ever remember a time when I... She looked up and froze without actually stopping movement. The freezing happened inside. One of the cooks was staring at her. He was tall and blonde. His smile was wide and warm, and it unnerved her. He was flipping burgers. Who was ordering burgers this early in the morning? But he wasn't taking his eyes off her, so the burgers were landing on the floor, in the sink, on the edge of the griddle, in a half-hazard splash pattern, starting from where his spatula tossed them. His smile was so wide and so warm, Jackie didn't feel safe. Jackie, come on over. I think this is a good time to tell you. Okay, Mom, okay. I'll be there. I just have a few things I need to do first. She shut off the phone, and her mom was gone. She would need to start somewhere. Old woman Josie had mentioned that the angels wanted to see her, and even though no one could legally acknowledge their existence, they did tend to know what more legally existent creatures did not. It was, if nothing else, somewhere to start at. She got up to leave, glancing back at the kitchen. 
The cook was still staring at her, a burger in mid-flip. Her quick glance did not take in its landing, so in her mind, it was always in the air, tumbling, never landing, never consumed, only spinning and falling, spinning and falling. Chapter 6 Catherine's office had two plants, three chairs, two desks, one hutch, six personal photos in standing frames, one of those cliched motivational posters on the wall that had two crows tearing out the insides of a reasonably sized forest cat with the cheesy inspirational caption, unremittingly, you must stare into the sun, and a clay paperweight, most likely made by Catherine's daughter. It was signed, by your seed, in adorable, small child handwriting. Diane sat in one of the chairs that had no wheels. The other two chairs were empty. The computer was humming and glowing. Flashes of colorful dots disappeared and reappeared on the screen. A phone was ringing somewhere in the cubicle area. A phone was being answered in the cubicle area. A tarantula inched between the keyboard and mouse, as if it were playing the game where it can only move one leg at a time, which is a popular game with tarantulas. Tarantulas are simple creatures, Diane's house thought, but no one was home to receive that thought. Josh was at school, not thinking about tarantulas. Diane was in the office, trying not to think about Josh. The door opened, and Catherine said, Sorry about making you wait so long. But she said it in a way that a person says, Sorry about the loss of your pet. Catherine was either expertly empathetic or completely disingenuous. It depended on what you needed a boss to be. In this way, Catherine was a good boss. Catherine sat down in the chair that had wheels and was between the two desks. She shoved papers and their paperweight out from the center of the desk, creating a small, clean triangle of oak desktop between her and Diane. How's Josh? Josh? Diane was not expecting small talk, nor did she expect Catherine to remember her son's name. She had always gotten along fine with her boss, but they had spoken only once or twice in her entire time with the company. Catherine had always seemed fair and kind, as things go, but also stressed and distracted. Josh, right? Your son? How is he? Still taking different physical forms all the time? Oh, he's fine. Just fine. That's unspecific, but I will not press you for more if you do not wish to mix work and home lives. Catherine said, without moving her neck or eyes. I legitimately am interested in Josh. I met him a couple of years ago, when we saw each other at the Ralph's. You were looking at different cereal packages, and Josh that day had... Oh, I remember. Such long fingers and ears, big dark eyes, and beautiful black wings. He was a handsome boy. Yes, he is a handsome boy. And I was buying metal cleaner and a 32-pack of meat thermometers. I remember that day well. Catherine frowned, her eyes briefly sad, before she was able to compose her face back to neutral. How's he doing at school? He must be 15 by now. Is he dating yet? I think maybe he has an interest. You don't have to answer that if you do not wish. Catherine raised one hand in the air, fingers together, palm facing Diane. Diane looked at Catherine's forceful but caring gesture, and then up a bit along her arm. The tarantula, which had been near the computer earlier, was now on Catherine's shoulder. It had one leg in the air pointing toward Diane. It was possible that the creature was still walking slowly, 
but Diane hoped it was instead mimicking its owner's arm gesture. Imagining this, Diane smiled a small smile. Catherine smiled a small smile in unconscious response. Catherine had no idea the tarantula was there. She was, in fact, terrified of spiders. She couldn't even look at a photo of one without panicking or possibly passing out. Diane misunderstood the situation. Catherine thought she was connecting to an employee on an emotional level. Catherine also misunderstood the situation. Oh, no, it's fine, Diane said. He's 15, you know how it is. He doesn't talk too much about what kids he likes. That's probably for the best. It's tough to talk with parents about romance and sex and dating. I remember being that age. I remember being almost all of the ages I have been. The tarantula had turned and was crawling down Catherine's upper arm. Diane thought it would be nice to have a pet at the office, like goldfish. Could she take care of goldfish at her desk? They made a lot of noise and you have to feed them mice every week, Diane thought. Maybe not. Tell me what I can help you with, Diane, Catherine said. I wanted to talk to you about Evan, about what happened last week with Evan and Dawn being absent. Right. You were insistent that someone named Evan worked here, Catherine tilted her head. Well, about the misunderstanding we had about Evan. Catherine did nothing. It was a... Diane weighted the difference between accepting blame for an action and claiming that action. On the one hand, she could protect her job, her reputation. On the other hand, she could act based on what she understood to be a reality, that a man named Evan used to work in her office. She had gotten into some arguments with her co-workers in both HR and finance over this issue. She wanted Catherine to help resolve it, but she also knew her insistence was beginning to reflect poorly on her. Diane's head pulsed with what wasn't quite a headache. It sounded like her own voice was different, or like it belonged to someone else. She also considered that in the place where she thought Evan's desk was, there was no desk at all. Maybe her co-workers were right. She began to sell herself on the idea that she must have lost her mind, or part of her mind, for a moment. That perhaps she should see a doctor. Like most people in Nightvale, she wasn't sure what doctors did, exactly, but it was rumored that there were benefits to their secretive activities. Diane had many thoughts in a breath-long conversational hesitation. The tarantula didn't even have time to take a step. A mistake, Diane continued, the pause almost indistinguishable from a stutter. I don't know what I thought, that there was a man named, um, and for a flicker, she did not remember anything about the man, let alone his name. Evan, she recovered, who worked here. I understand, said Catherine, but I'm curious. Was there ever an employee by that name, or a similar name? Was I close? Was I maybe conflating this person with someone else? I'm just trying to not feel crazy, you know? Diane laughed. Catherine did not laugh. Not off the top of my head, no. I will look, and I will let you know. There used to be an Alan, I think, who was a sales associate. Oh, I remember Alan. No, not him. It will be difficult to help if you create a culture of no, Diane. They both laughed at this. It was an excellent dry joke, Catherine thought. I am connecting with people, Catherine thought. What in the hell? Diane thought. Seriously, I will look into it, Diane. I'm glad Dawn is back and that we have our full staff together again. Yes, I was. Well, I don't know if you were, but it was stressing me out, not knowing. Not knowing? 
The tarantula was stepping off the back of Catherine's elbow, trying to reach the armrest. You held a staff meeting where we discussed Don and it... Don's absence? That she was missing for a few days and no one could get a hold of her? We offered to drive to her house and... When was this? Catherine swiveled her chair around to her computer and jerked the mouse back and forth in three equal swipes. The colorful dots and darkness faded and Catherine clicked on her calendar. The tarantula retracted its exploratory leg. Tuesday. Time? Morning, I think. I think it was a morning. There's nothing on my calendar that morning. We had an operations meeting that afternoon, but you wouldn't have been at that. Nothing in the days around Tuesday. We had a staff meeting on Thursday, but Don was back that day. Don was only gone four days, and she had been calling in sick each day, Diane. Catherine turned back from her computer. The tarantula, still on her arm, turned with her. Have you talked to Don? She said. Yes. No. Not in detail. You should talk to Don. I will. I definitely will. Diane, you should also give yourself some time off. I want a healthy staff, a happy staff. I want you to take care of your migraines. Diane had never had migraines and wasn't sure what Catherine was talking about. She thought that perhaps it was a different day than she thought it was, or that Catherine was not her boss but another person wearing a mask. Nothing seemed right. I will. I'll take care of them. And I'll talk to Don. Wonderful. Catherine turned her chair back toward Diane again. And Diane? Diane, standing to leave, paused. Thank you. No, thank you, Catherine, for the... Thanks for being patient. I was confused. You are welcome. Catherine's fingers were together again, fitting neatly into the cleared triangle of her desk. The tarantula had reached the armrest and was just dragging its brown bulk onto the desk. It pulled itself next to a photo of a young Catherine and a younger boy. Catherine, can I ask an unrelated question? Anytime, Diane. What is her name? Diane asked, pointing to the spider. Whose name? Or his. I apologize. I shouldn't assume gender. Ah, of course. This is a he, Catherine said with a rigid smile, reaching her hand out in the direction of the tarantula. The tarantula stopped. It seemed to stare at Catherine's hand or it could have just sensed, sensed motion above it and froze. Tarantulas are simple creatures, Diane thought, not knowing where the thought had come from. Catherine's hand wrapped around the side of the picture of her and her boy. The tarantula brushed one leg against Catherine's middle finger. She felt it, but did not know what the feeling was, and thus, like most things she does not understand, she ignored it. This is a photo of me with my son, Kim. It took Diane a moment to connect her mental narrative with the visible reality, but when she processed that Catherine was talking about the photo of the boy and not the tarantula, she understood clearly. I understand clearly, Diane said. What a weird response. He's beautiful, I meant. I meant you are both beautiful in the photo. We were younger in that photo. There are other photos where we are older. Time, Diane guffawed. Catherine reciprocated. Right? What is time, even? Catherine took her hand away from the photo frame. The tarantula set its foot back on the desk. Diane completed her movement to stand up. Go talk to Dawn. I will. Catherine turned back to her computer, knowing she had reports to write. 
Diane left Catherine's office, knowing she needed to talk to Dawn. The tarantula stared at the ceiling, not knowing at all what a ceiling is. The Voice of Night Vale Which implied a lot while saying little. Indeed, the same could be said for the rest of the planets in the solar system. None of them commented. Our town is once again facing a serious tarantula problem. The Nightvale Unified School District indicated that fewer than one in five tarantulas graduate from high school. Indeed, most spiders never even enroll in public education, choosing instead to spin webs and eat smaller insects. Tarantulas are simple creatures, thought PTA Treasurer Diane Creighton today, without ever voicing that sentence aloud to anyone, according to several reliable and invasive spy satellites that were scanning her brain at the time. We reached out to the tarantula community for a response to Diane's privately held opinion, and were immediately crawled upon by several of them. I think they are gone, but I have a vague tickling feeling on my back that I am afraid to investigate. Maybe I'm developing migraines. I should ask Carlos that. Listeners, the sheriff's secret police are out in large numbers tonight in Nightvale. They are not looking for a killer or a missing person. There is no disaster or accident to handle. They are simply wandering around town in large numbers. Some of these police are working, sitting in patrol cars waiting for minor traffic infractions or calls to duty. Some of these police are not working. They are out to dinner with their families or watching a popular sporting event on a bar television with some friends. Some are reading books or catching up on television shows. Some are working late in a secret precinct office, probably hidden in that heavy-looking, unmoving cloud. The secret police are out in large numbers tonight. Nearly every member of the secret police is somewhere in Nightvale. They all exist. We feel very safe. More news next, but first, a brief word from our sponsors. Pepsi, a refreshing drink, a soft tone playing when you wake up, but then it is gone and you don't know if you dreamed it. A hallway glimpsed in the back of your refrigerator, but when you look again, it is gone. The reoccurring feeling that your shower is losing faith in you. Desperation. Hunger. Starving. Not literally, but still. That hallway again, lined with doors that you know you can open. Your fridge is empty. You haven't left your home in days, and yet you come and go. This isn't food. What are you eating? Pepsi. Drink Coke. City Council held their third press conference in as many hours to reiterate the extreme dangers posed by angels. There is no such thing as an angel, said the council in their unified many voice, but if there were, what a dangerous and disgusting creature it would be. Think of its many legs and its ghastly voice. Think of an angel as a murderer hiding in your home. Think of an angel as the very concept of meaningless injury and death. You'll have to imagine all of this because angels do not exist. Stay away from them, they concluded. We now return you to the sound of whatever is around you, which is probably a great deal more sound than you think, only some of which indicates future harm to you. <laughs> 